0: Ashley. Hello Anna. Hello. <laughs> oh my god, look at Osgo. Look at Osgo. Honestly. I know. This is crazy. So for those of you who don't know, because well, they probably like don't notice. Let's hope. Let's hope that they don't <laughs> notice what's going on here. Hopefully. Basically, Anna and I are not actually in the same room at the moment. Crazy, oh, I know.
1: Yes. We are not even in the same building. So basically, we are trying to record this episode remotely because yeah. of everything because of ashley's job and just because there mm-hmm. were a few cases and we were trying to be you know sensible and we thought that we this is not any stopping for a plus because it just launched and we love it and we need to continue it oh yeah but Got keep um, going. we keep going and this is we found a way to make it work which is amazing oh my goodness i'm so, so excited
0: about this
1: <laughs> uh, Me too. Welcome to the first ever proper episode of the Plus Podcast, which is called, Ashley?
0: (laughs) Stories that Stick, 10 Books That Changed Our Lives. Oh my goodness. Love it. it.
1: Does that excite you a little bit? Because I hear like these words and they just excite me quite a lot, you know, which is just maybe my nerding, but uh, (laughs) I swear this is just so exciting and I'm so pleased that we are here and i'm literally talking to my phone and i feel a bit silly like sitting in my living room talking to my phone um but at the same time i just love this idea that we're gonna sit here for the next 40 45 we'll see how it's gonna how it's gonna work um
0: under an hour but Definitely. this is like <laughs> our favorite thing to talk about so if we go on a little bit apologies but hopefully you'll enjoy this as much as we are going to enjoy recording it Um, absolutely yeah shall we I mean I don't think the title needs too much explaining does it really no it's pretty Um, straightforward I think pretty straightforward hopefully our goal our aim is that you guys could take these books and you know hopefully read them yourselves and see if they change your life as well because the fact that These books have changed our lives is no exaggeration, by the way. I mean, certainly in my case, it's also worth pointing out that we don't know which books the other person's chosen. So this is a surprise for us as well. That makes it a bit more exciting.
1: We initially thought that maybe we should, you know, share with each other. So we are going to be very briefly um but with great and important details let's just say (laughs) Um, talk about 10 books altogether um that changed our lives and that literally you need to read before you die um and five books are picked by ashley and then five books have been picked by me so we're gonna i think i'm guessing we're gonna give like a brief review on each book but yeah. uh but brief because our goal and aim is that maybe you know you guys will be able to you know if if we excite you enough you're going to be able to maybe access these books and then read them if you are interested um so i think we should get started ash otherwise this is gonna this rambling is gonna go on for ages so okay, i'm really really yes i'm really intrigued what your first book is so please start and then i will chip in here and there
0: Okay, right. So my first book, and don't laugh here, because some of you might think, really? That's your first book? This book has changed your life? But hear me out, okay? My first book is Winnie the Pooh, The Complete Collection of Stories and Poems by A.A. Milne. Oh, my God. you You can have a little laugh there, but I'm telling you, these stories have stuck with me, okay? And I'm about to explain to you why. So they're a childhood favorite of mine. And I do think that if you were born and raised in the UK, like I am, you know Winnie the Pooh, you love Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. And like it's, it's just one of those, one of those characters that everybody is familiar with, everybody loves, and it is like a childhood staple. Um, but I actually think that the origins of Winnie the Pooh, if you aren't already aware of them, they're very dark, like very dark. Do you know where it comes from, Anna? Or like,
1: no, I'm not I'm not actually sure where they come from. I am obviously familiar with Winnie the Pooh. I've read it. My mum read it to me. Yeah. You know, as, as I was growing up, I was always watching the film. This is a fun fact, just to very quickly chip in here.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> my dad has... A dubbing studio. He is very much involved with media and dubbing for for English members or not members listeners. Um, if you don't, if you're not sure of what dubbing means, is that because as I said, I'm from Hungary. The dubbing studio basically provides Hungarian voices for cartoons, films. Um, so, Hungarian actors are dubbing the films that are normally English-speaking, or not just English-speaking, any anything, basically. Yeah. But the reason why I'm talking about this is because Vinnie the Pooh and the Heffalump Story, which was one of the films, I obviously had to try out dubbing and I loved it. And when I was six years old, I went on a audition, casting, and I was casted to be the voice of the Heffalump. So I, if you ever want to watch it in Hungarian, you're going to hear my very boyish <laughs> six-year-old <laughs> voice. Um in 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 within the heffalums character so yeah that's just a fun fact but keep going ashley where are the characters are originating from please well i
0: first of all i love that story i just love that i think we should put that little clip on our instagram if we can oh yes Yes, there
1: are, some, there are some very embarrassing um, YouTube uh, videos. No, not really embarrassing. Actually, my boyfriend loves it. And now uh, he basically showed it to all of his siblings. <laughs> so the siblings it. are now literally singing it in Hungarian. It's not like the <laughs> most difficult words, but there is one song that the sings. And like, yeah, now everybody, everybody, everybody knows that. So it's really, really uh, funny.
0: I think it's adorable. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so moving on, these beloved stories... Um, were actually born out of the horrors of the First World War. Um, really? Wow. So, yeah, so A.A. A. Milne, the author, and Ernest Shepard, the illustrator of Winnie the Pooh, of the original Winnie the Pooh stories, had both actually served as officers in the war and had witnessed just unimaginable horrors, the worst kind of things that you can even think of. And yet out of these horrors, Milne and Shepard together created characters and stories which are just beautifully innocent and gentle in nature and they're just a complete contrast to what the nation and the rest of the world had just witnessed and was actually still recovering from at this point so I think that's really quite that's something because you know these are world renowned stories and they just came out of the worst time possible you know, and I think that's why people love them so much. That's so interesting, um, Ashley.
1: I had no idea. Yeah. And you taught me something today, which kind of changed my view on it as well. Because, yeah. again, the loveliest, sweetest character is that, like, es- I'm guessing the reason why they've created them as well is that, you know, escapism from the world exactly. that they were in. No.
0: Yeah, to just bring a little bit of light to a world that at the time was just the darkest place possible. I mean, none of us today can imagine what that would be like. No. So, um, yeah, so that's where it comes from, which I always found fascinating. Really? Um But another thing as well, you know, I think that there are always lessons to be learned from children's books. And Winnie the Pooh is no exception. Um, This book, and I keep calling it this book because I had this huge collection that my parents bought for me when I was born. (laughs) So this is how you knew that my parents were expecting me to be a little bit of a book nerd. Like I came out of the womb and they were like, yeah, get her a massive book, she'll want that.
1: (laughs) And you did not disappoint. You did not disappoint. I did not.
0: And I loved it. And honestly, it's probably my most cherished book that I own. It's this just beautiful illustrated collection. So I keep referring to it as this book um, and that's why. But this, this book taught me lessons in so many different things, kindness, problem solving, loyalty, and just kind of like taking pleasure in the simple things in life. And I kind of think that the most prominent lesson and the one that probably impacted me the most was the lesson surrounding friendship, which is kind of like what Winnie the Pooh is based upon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You you see these tiny little characters just muddling through life and kind of helping each other out where they can. And one thing that I always find really, really interesting about Winnie the Pooh is that each character kind of has, I wouldn't even call it a flaw, little quirks, you know? Like Piglet mm-hmm. is always very, very anxious and scared about things all the time. And Rabbit's very meticulous, very. Maybe some people today might say he's got OCD. I don't OCD, know. I
1: was going to say, Ashley, I exactly. was going to say. And you're yeah. absolutely right. I think they each of the characters depict the, oh my gosh, how do I say this? Depict, yeah, yeah, like yeah. or like, <laughs> yeah, like one, like a very exaggerated personality trait. Exactly. So the kids are, you know, learning each of these traits, and you know, kind of shows that the flaws and quirks, as you are saying, they are all part of being a human or being exactly. just like exactly. someone who is growing up. And that's so good. Yeah, Rabbit is like that. Also, yeah. Eeyore. Eeyore is someone who is always sad, you know, even nowadays, now that luckily our world is, you know, a place where they can now freely perhaps talk about mental health and depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety and things like that. Maybe even, you know, to the extent that loads of people are coming out which is which is a great thing but coming out in the sense that they struggle with mental health which is good because one of my books are actually dealing with this stuff which I'm going to mention later
0: okay yeah like
1: maybe maybe that's sort of like the Eeyore character like depicting that sort of sadness and
0: depression but then the friends can pull you out of it in a way yeah exactly and that was exactly what I was going to say is that like whichever struggles or problems these characters are facing they can always rely on the support of their friends and even though this is this is a children's book. The reason why this is loved by so many people and has been for so long and will continue to be, I think, as well, is because it speaks to very, very human emotions, very human um, sort of situations which you face all throughout your life, not just when you're a child. Mm-hmm. And- I kind of just find that very, very sweet and endearing that um, you've just got these characters who are just there for each other unconditionally, even when sometimes it might not be required. And I think if I'm able to, I'm just going to tell one of my favourite stories very, very quickly, because this one always makes me laugh. And um, it's the story is, I think it's one of the first ones, actually. And it's where... Um, Winnie the Pooh and Piglet are going through the woods and it's a snowy day and, you know, they're just wandering around and they suddenly notice that um, Eeyore's house um, or, or Eeyore doesn't have a house. That's what they realize. And they think, oh, gosh, that's awful. You know, it's so cold at the moment. And Eeyore, poor Eeyore, doesn't have a house. So they decide to build him one. And they go through the woods and find a pile of sticks and they think, oh, that will be perfect. We'll make him a house with these sticks. So uh-huh. they make him this lovely little house and just the kindest thing, you know, such a sweet thing to do. And it turns out that the pile of sticks that they found was Eeyore's house. Oh, <laughs> and my gosh. <laughs> and I just find that so funny. But everything that they do for each other is done with good intentions. And I think that that's such an important lesson to learn as a child that. If you're doing everything with kindness in your heart, then you will you will go very far in life, I think. And that is my reasoning behind why Winnie the Pooh is one of my books that changed my life. Oh my God, <laughs> Ashley, that was a really amazing story. And I
1: wasn't, wasn't familiar with this one because I remember reading it, watching it, obviously being involved with it, yeah. um, watching the spin-offs like Christopher Robin, you know, all yeah. of these little bits and bobs that kind of, or like, products of media, basically, that decided to focus on different aspects of this very timeless and educational story which yeah, I had, I didn't even have any idea the time period it was made at or like the circumstances, which is really good to know. And I love this so much. And I'm going to have to maybe go to Waterstones and get like a beautiful edition and
0: read it again. Or Please something. do, please <laughs> do. I'm going to get my coffee next time I go home. I'm going to get mine.
1: <laughs> I'm going to have to have a look at this because, you know, we both very much love beautiful editions of, of books and classics and oh, things like that.
0: Yeah. I would just sure. say, though, one l- very last little point if yeah. young children anybody listening and you haven't already read them Winnie the Pooh go and do it just just go and buy a book right now go and buy Winnie the Pooh for them right now and read it to them <laughs> bedtime story because i guarantee you those stories will stay with your children for a lifetime guarantee okay
1: <laughs> that's such a good such a good little message as well
0: <laughs> i'm so
1: glad that you picked this actually because i was very much thinking what um what like what sort of books like I kind of just brainstormed and sat down and I was like the first books that kind of came to my mind. I was like, I had two or three that were a definite and then I was writing a longer list and then I eventually narrowed it down to the final ones.
0: Um, oh, my I'm first intrigued. book- I'm intrigued what your first one okay.
1: is. Okay, <laughs> so my first one is going to be, I think there is a reoccurring pat- pattern here, but we'll see. So the first book is my dissertation book that I analyzed and still didn't manage to ruin the experience of reading this book. <laughs> So it, it, like, I literally read it every single year. And this is the reason why I've decided to study literature, because I read this book as a young adult, basically. And this is Catcher in the Rye by yeah. G.D. Salinger. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I just I just had to be in it. I know, actually, I got you into this a little bit, did I? Because oh, no. you had to read it, because you had read my dissertation. I'm not going to overanalyze this, because I could talk about it for absolutely ages but um, if you don't you're not familiar with The Catcher in the Rye it's um, a classic I would say for sure it's basically J.D. Salinger is considered as a one book author The Catcher in the Rye is well known in America it is you know mandatory in many of the schools in America secondary schools which I think is a fantastic thing because this book is it's basically written from the perspective of a young teenager who, and it kind of covers a few days of his life after he's being expelled from school boarding school which wasn't the first time and we are hearing so this is a very very one-sided type of narrative because they are hearing everything and reading everything that he is thinking and his observations and his views about the world, about his feelings. And you feel like you are talking to a friend. You feel like you are hearing the thoughts of your friend, of incredibly relatable thoughts, I think at least as a young adult and reading it as as a young adult, but even later on, these feelings are at least i think at least one thing that he mentions in this book in a very you know it's written in like a very colloquial like teenagery manner so it's super readable super like linear easy to read you just like you know you read it's a it's a proper page turner um it deals with as it's you know i'm saying that it's easy to read but it deals with like s- like very very serious themes like being alienated, being isolated, feeling alone, feeling sad, feeling depressed, feeling angry and rebellious against the world. These are all of these, you know, all of these feelings that you kind of deal with as a teenager. Am I right, Ashley? Do oh, you wanna, 100%. Yeah. Do
0: you want to I mean...
1: chip in for a... Sure.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So I read this book, as Anna said, um, just after reading her dissertation, I just thought I need to read this book. And it didn't disappoint at all. It, as Anna said, it kind of just deals with all of these feelings and emotions that most teenagers, I think, can relate to 100%. I mean, I do think that this character is an extreme of those emotions and feelings. Um, But I think that's what makes it so readable because Mm -hmm. you just kind of look at this character and the only way that I can um sort of describe this character is that he reminds me of Jess from Gilmore Girls and I was going to mention that actually actually (laughs) I was going to mention that (laughs) I'm just saying if you know you know and if you don't go and watch Gilmore Girls
1: (laughs) and this actually triggered when when we first discovered this um comparison between the two characters this actually triggered like all sorts of weird ideas of like or is is actually you know some of the tv series or some of the very popular i'm doing like the uh, inverted commas with my hands, popular <laughs> <laughs> films and TV series and that is part of that pop culture like that. Mm-hmm. You know, are they actually based on literature? So are we starting everything from literature, which I would argue, yes, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, literature I, I is the base of things. Maybe, you know, it was inspired by it. Um, definitely an extreme, I would say. It's, it's exaggerated to an extent. But again, um, maybe we say that it's exaggerated because we are not... 100% able to identify with everything that he's feeling and saying. <clears throat> but at the same time, loads of the teenagers are dealing with the same angst. And you are like, I just want to shake you and I'm so angry at you. And you literally hate the character sometimes, yep. Golden Caulfield, whose life we are following, who cannot really get emotionally attached to anyone apart from his sister, um, who he would do anything for. He's dealing with loss with he's I don't want to give away too much but he he lost the sibling he lost his brother um there are many many various like symbolisms in the novel that you if you read between the lines and read carefully you definitely are able to feel and I love that you need to read between the lines because it's not exactly what you're reading like it is what you feel and what you you know kind of um yeah you get sucked into his head yes. I think yeah very much so so yeah Catcher in the Rye is something that I would absolutely recommend and I think like it made me fall in love with stories and books and that is the reason why I picked it as a definite for sure you know um, so yeah I think that's it from Catcher otherwise we'll waffle on for ages for <laughs>
0: so the next one please a brilliant choice a brilliant choice and kind of along Thank the same you. sort of lines as you um, my next book is a book that put me on the path that i'm on today i would say which i know is a very very bold claim to make about a book but it is 100% true so this second book for me is to kill a mockingbird by harper lee oh my god yes it was on my it was on in my top 10 actually was it? but it
1: didn't quite it didn't quite make it to my top 5 well, there you because go. then i would have had to get rid of something else
0: <laughs> it's made it to my top 5 so it's fine <laughs> I was so sure that it's going to be on yours. To be honest, of course, you know it's my favorite book. Anybody that knows me knows that this is my absolute favorite. Well, one, yeah, one of my favorite books. Um, I mean, this is this is the book that first introduced me to civil rights and racial injustice in America. I would say. So, just a quick side note here, but I think this is an important side note. So, To Kill a Mockingbird is an American classic, and rightly so. However, I do think it's important to note that it does have its limitations. And by today's standards, some parts of it are quite problematic. So whilst I think that there can be no doubt that To Kill a Mockingbird was way ahead of its time in terms of content, there have been literally hundreds of books, if not thousands, published in the last 50 years or so, which would be better suited to the job of bringing issues of racism and injustice to light. In a school environment yes. because that's what it's used for in schools at the moment exactly definitely and i do think that there are books that are just better suited so side note is it's okay to love and appreciate classic literature as long as you can also accept its limitations just a quick side note
1: so no i think it's important yeah. to note i think it's
0: absolutely important to note and put it into context definitely, for sure definitely yeah so just a quick summary then um i'm not going to give too much away But it's set in a small town in Alabama, Maycomb, and what we see is the story of a white man representing an African-American man who has been falsely accused of raping a white woman. But alongside this, the book is a coming-of-age novel about the young Jem and Scout, brother and sister, who learn the importance of not judging people before you've walked a mile in their shoes, as their dad Atticus says. So the result of this trial is tragic and I believe that perhaps here Lee was kind of illustrating the problems with the American justice system which again is a very very bold move to make in the midst of the civil rights movement I'm
1: very much so very and off. like how relatable and how not really not, not necessarily relatable that's not the word that I was looking for how um relevant it is nowadays as well, isn't
0: it? Oh, 100%. And I think that's why this book is so important, because it is a timeless book. It really is. Like, some of the ways that things are addressed, as I said, are a little bit problematic, and there are limitations to this book now by today's standards. But back then, my God, was it making a bold statement? Like, it was. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So, as I kind of alluded to, I read this at GCSE. And this book deals with very heavy subject matter. And I'm talking lynchings, false rape allegations, like that's heavy. And at 15 years old, that is bound to make an impression on you. So, I don't want people to misunderstand me here. I don't think 15 is too young to learn about these things because if a black child is old enough to experience racism, then a white child is definitely old enough to read about it. So, uh, so not that's such a good way of putting it, Ashley. Like such a good way. I just don't want there to be any misunderstanding there. I do not think 15 is too young to learn about these things. But the reason that I mentioned that you know the age that I was at is because I kind of remember thinking to myself that I was like reading proper literature now because it was dealing with such heavy and adult themes so mm-hmm. for me that was a really defining moment in my life and in my sort of coming of age <laughs> which is such a strange way to talk about your own like childhood or growing up <laughs> but I do think that it was such a defining book for me and a defining moment in my life um because it kind of opened up my eyes to wider issues of structural racism and not just individual cases of racism, which I was already aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually grew up in a mixed family, which I would say probably altered my reading of this book anyway. So, you know, because I was already aware of individual issues of racism. Maybe that kind of made my reading of this book a little bit different to people who maybe weren't aware of or even considering these issues at that time. So I do think that it was an important book for us to read collectively um, at that time. But for me personally, like I said, it put me on the path I'm on today. Like my whole university experience, I based it around race relations, racial injustice. And I don't think I would have done that had I not read this book. So again, I would highly, highly, highly recommend To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Please go and read it.
1: That's very, very good way of putting it, Ashley. And like I would just literally, there is nothing else that I would want to add apart from just because um, I have a very different experience to you in terms of education. Yeah. Up until the point that we went to university, uh, but <laughs> the whole country that I grew up in, and you know, the Hungarian education system and the the education system in the UK are completely different. The books. That we read there completely different to the ones that were compulsory. For example, in the UK, yeah. I've never, ever, ever came across a uh, came across *To Kill a Mockingbird* in Hungary because it wasn't mandatory. Uh, I don't think it was um, a text that was um, widely known by the educators, even. Yeah. Which is a mistake, I guess. But because we weren't focusing that much on American literature mm. in um, secondary school which is, I guess, the equivalent of um, GCSEs here and like A-levels. Um, that's why I've never came across To Kill a Mockingbird until I came to the UK. And then I read it for pleasure yeah. with like a complete new head with like that literary... Um, oh, apologies. There is a motorcycle that is like literally going past the house. <laughs> so if you hear anything, it's just that. So that sort that a literary analytical brain and coming across you know coming from a different country with different cultural experiences and coming to the UK who which also has like completely different you know cultural momentum and that book literally introduced me to loads of the racial issues that you are um, in you've just beautifully highlighted ash so yeah completely agree and i'm so glad it made it to your
0: top five i just i do think that's such an interesting point that you've just made though and for any of you international listeners oh that's that sounds Mm -hmm. so weird to say doesn't it (laughs) it it does but it's good it feels good reading for um reading listening from a different country please let us know like did you read any of the books that we've mentioned as kind of being compulsory reads because i know that um, you've told me anna when you were growing up a lot of the literature you were, you were reading was kind of classic european literature russian hungarian literature and over yeah. that just wasn't the case we would read you know shakespeare and classic american yeah. literature like fitzgerald and harper lee and so that is such an interesting cultural difference and i would it's a diff- yeah. I'd be very no, interested on. to know whether you guys had the same experience as we did um, growing up. So let us know. Definitely, because it definitely differs from country to country as
1: well, because the con- cultural experience that you, um, you know, take with you, you know, I've got, my whole Hungarian self that I'm bringing here to the UK. And now I have my English self as well. And that makes me so much more than what I was. And that introduced me and opened my eyes and extended my perspectives, which this A-plus podcast wants to do. So I would love to know all all these things and how you inherit some things and then how you kind of think outside the box and then how you get to know other authors, other cultural experiences and keep saying this word because that's just the best word to describe this <laughs> it's so interesting how this all comes together yeah. and I think that's what makes it beautiful and on the same note just because I am um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm gonna um, try and kind of link my next book with this theme mm-hmm. I've um, a book which is by a Russian author. This is a very, very well-known novel. And I think you're going to be very surprised, Ash, that I've included this book in my top five. Okay. And this is a very controversial choice. This is Lolita by Vladimir Novakov, okay. Okay. Um which is probably loads and loads of people heard this phrase, Lolita, at once in their lives. Uh, but maybe they don't know where it comes from or what the story behind it is. Uh, as I'm saying this is very controversial because some people hate this book Uh, and I'm one of the many people actually who absolutely adore and love this book Um, I'm going to tell you a very very brief thing this book is about pedophilia this is about a pedophile and it's written from the perspective of a pedophile man Um, but I think this is the book that challenges you like this is the book that challenged me the most and challenges the reader the most to empathize with a type of character that you would never ever empathize with and because it's written from um, a, a character's point of view who is a pedophile and it's about his lolita you know he marries the wife of this 12 year old girl who is Not, uh, I wouldn't, okay, I'm not going to give much away um, because her character is very interesting. But you see, like, you see, for example, this Lolita character, this 12-year-old girl who is basically maturing, but it's, you know, if you just break it down to the absolute grounds, a child. And this 40-year-old man is, it's about his love for this child, both sexually and it does include loads of explicit moments. So I would put a disclaimer there. If you are, you know, young or you're a young listener, uh, maybe like, maybe don't read this book just yet or talk to your parents about it and and, and ask if, if this, because it does include loads of explicit moments, but it's not gross. It's never too gory. It's never super disc-, disc- cryptic that you are actually like you know grossing out it is a beautiful narrative and it's again i have to say the phrase it sucks you in and you realize that you're seeing this girl from from the perspective of this man and um the ability of like the reading through the lines and And how you see this one-sided, unreliable narrator. Again, I'm saying there is a reoccurring pattern here because I, again, picked a book which is a first-person narration. I just seem to love being (laughs) in the characters' minds and in my own little world. But um, I'm not even going to say anything else about Lolita. This wasn't a compulsory read. This is purely because I was very much interested in the storyline, but I was super sceptical about reading this book. And then I, and then it made it to my top. It's the literary value of this book is, I think, absolutely outstanding. And Russian literature with all its details and, you know, realism is something that you should, I think, as a reader, and if you want a variety of texts, I think um, going to Russian literature and going to texts that are written written by Tolstoy or Dostoevsky are such good introduction to a different type of literature that maybe you are not familiar with. You know, people who are from the UK, for example, not many of my um, English friends know loads of Russian uh, literature like... It's, it's very, very interesting. And um, I could have included Anna Karenina by Tolstoy because I was very tempted mm-hmm. to, but then I decided to stick with my Lolita. And I really hope that this sparked some sort of interest. Um, I know, Ash, that you've seen the film, but you haven't read the book yeah. yet and you're yet to. You're right.
0: And I just think that is such an interesting pick. I really do. Because um, as Anna mentioned, yeah, I've seen the film and it's one of those films for me. I don't know whether any of you guys have, have seen it, but it's so intriguing. I think that's the only word that I can use to describe it. And despite this very, very obvious theme of paedophilia, it is just, I don't know, like, it's so hard to describe it, isn't it, Anna? I mean, I need to read the book. I know I need to read the book. um, And I definitely will after having you put it in your top five. Uh, <laughs> yes. but I'd be so interested to hear what you guys think about this because in my mind I think it's one of those themes that people it's it's a very very taboo subject for a good reason My I add, as well yeah. for a very good reason um, but that just makes it such a bold topic to write about and I think I'd be so interested in reading this and see how this subject matter is tackled because I have no doubt that for this to be in Anna's top 10 it must be done in a very tasteful and very um, what's the word Ah, you read it and you're not disgusted by it you know exactly
1: and not for the like not for a moment like I feel like the film cannot bring this back because as a visual medium you see what the director kind of puts there for you to see. But when you read, again, you read between the lines and then you, that's when you actually like, you just cannot physically achieve that with a a film. So that's why I think it's very important to read it. And again, you don't have to agree with me. You can absolutely hate this and, or not even read it because you are like, oh my God, this this is so bad. Like, why would you want to read a book about a pedophile written from a pedophile's perspective? But then again, you know, just intriguing and and going there with an open mind and reading even a different sort of it's a very different and stands you know as a one and only as something that is a masterpiece and made its place on the literary canon for an absolute reason so let's just leave it at that yeah, um, and then we'll see we'll see what's gonna happen and maybe maybe some people will get
0: intrigued and excited by it and we'll read it we'll i'm see. intrigued and i think i will read it so i'll let you know my thoughts <laughs> For sure, (laughs) definitely. Let's hear your third book. So my third book um, is also a compulsory read for some school children. However, I never actually read this in school. Um, I actually only read this book about a year ago, but after I'd read it, I could definitely see why it had become a set text. So my next pick is The Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini. Yes, I read that. You lent it to me, actually. What's a book. Oh, book, goodness. I know. And I just, oh, this book is just an emotional roller coaster from start to finish. Again, like, I don't want to spoil the book if you haven't read it, but it's predominantly a coming of age novel about finding your place in and amongst turmoil. And it also explores ideas of betrayal, guilt, and forgiveness in ways which honestly left me. Pretty devastated by the novel that like that's the only word i can use to describe it this book is devastating it really is so if you want a good cry <laughs> read this book um so set in afghanistan before during and after its invasion by both russia and the taliban the kite runner kind of provides an exploration of a country and a culture which is little understood in the west i think that's a fair statement um so I would kind of say that some of its importance as a text comes from this. Um, Post 9-11, the West was directing all this fear and hysteria towards the Middle East. And I would argue that the Kite Runner actually humanizes Afghanistan and its people in a way that was much needed. Like Bearing in mind, this was published only 18 months after 9-11, and I just think it's such an important text to read if you're not familiar with that culture, because it really does just open your eyes. Um, to the fact that you know these are people just as you and i are there's there's no two ways about it um, did you find that anna because i d- I really didn't know anything about Afghanistan before I read this book, and obviously you shouldn't use one single text to kind of teach you about an entire culture, but this is a good starting point I think would you I think?
1: definitely i feel like I feel like especially when it 's fiction it's it's kind of like you know tells you oh my god there is a car again i'm so sorry i apologize this is so bad (laughs) anyway let's make it real let's make it real um i literally try to come to the quietest room in my flat and then this is what happens don't worry don't worry (laughs) anyway we are just you know we do what we can um we are not professionals in a studio not yet yet. (laughs) um so yeah like sorry just to go back to um, to that yes if it's fiction it kind of and if it covers something that is um, a real historical event or period mm-hmm. of time, then it's obviously biased and going to show you the perspectives and the stories that that actual specific fiction wants to tell so I didn't know much about it either but I've done some googling beforehand just to kind of understand the overall picture and then see what this story is going to tell me and literally absolutely devastating you're so right it
0: really does and the novel just unravels in a way which is just tragic and unrelenting and it kind of just makes you a witness to one man's journey through life Who is and he's just burdened by the guilt of this act well few acts actually committed in childhood and i think based off of that kind of part of the novel i would say that this it just made me acutely aware that decisions that we make in a split second can actually stay with us and haunt us for a lifetime but it also taught me that there is always the possibility for atonement and i kind of think that this word atonement it it always seems to have like a religious connotation to it and like This idea, yeah, like idea of forgiveness from this higher being, but I don't think it has to be Mm -hmm. that at all. I think it can just be forgiving yourself sometimes as well, Mm -hmm. and knowing that we're only human. We're going to make mistakes. Sometimes we're going to upset people, and if you can make that right, then do. And just know that it's okay to make those mistakes. And I do think that that's one of the things that this book taught me. amongst, you know, many, many tissues and just, like, breaks because it was just too much to handle. Like, it's such an intense book, but really, really worth reading. I mean, I'm sure all of you have heard of The Kite Runner. And if you haven't read it yet, please do pick it up because it's a very – it's a beautiful story at the same time. And the end is lovely. I won't spoil it, but the end is is lovely and well worth all the tears in between. <laughs>
1: definitely it's beautiful and um I feel like the author as well um Hosseini is that how you pronounce his name?
0: Maybe, butchering that name I have no idea so yeah apologies apologies (laughs) Apologies if that's not how you pronounce it um
1: but yes um the other book that I have not read by him yet but I'm intrigued to read and you lent Mm -hmm. it to me Ashley is the um The Thousand Splendid Sons. So good again which I'm incredibly yeah again I feel like there is a similar sort of style there which I fell in love with the style and again it really really did one of the books actually that 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 made me cry because it very rarely happens that they actually make me cry but this this book actually made me made me weep and got so deeply into these not just the actual historical moment in time but also the feeling yeah. of this man, you know, the actual, like, th- again, those emotions just got released. And they are, again, super yeah. relatable and and just feelings that are basic pillars of living a life that you deserve and you want to be mm-hmm. proud of, you know, then that time comes. So, yeah, all of these themes are absolutely, and all the points that you made, I think they are super, super fair and, and very good, very good points. And Thank such you a very pick. much.
0: So what
1: is your next oh. pick oh my next pick okay so my next pick is um this was the other book that I was just 100% sure that's gonna make it this is by a Hungarian author you've read oh, this actually yes. uh, I this it. is Abigail <laughs> by, <laughs> by Magda Sabu who is um the Jane Austen of Hungary, I would say, if I ha- I would have to compare her to someone uh, very very famous and well known in the UK as a female author. Uh, nowhere near Jane Austen's time, um, she is a 20th century author, and Abigail is one of the most beloved young adult fictions that she has ever written. Uh, she's, you know, that Magda Sabo is one of the most. And widely translated authors of Hungary, Abigail has been translated to over thirty-five languages. Mm -hmm. I think her other very famous novel, The Door, which uh, made her internationally famous, because Abigail was only translated to English in twenty twenty by Len Rix in January. So crazy! That's Uh, so crazy. That's crazy crazy. because that is honestly, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And then. Then I saw that it came out and there was a New York Times review of Abigail. And I was just like, this makes my heart so happy. (laughs) This, you know, makes me and and the New York Times was raving about this book. And they were like, why did we not hear from this before? And the door was very well known. And then um, there is actually a play or like a novel and. There is a play by uh, Magda Sabo. I'm not sure what the English translation is or if there is one. But my mom is currently, she's an actress in Hungary and she's currently playing the lead female role in that um, play. So that's very exciting. (laughs) Uh, This is something that is part of my inheritance, my family, my mom. She was the one who introduced me to this and her love for this book made me, made me love it. In the first place, and there is a four-hour-long mini-series that was made back at a time in who uh, oh, I don't even know when it was made, but it's a very old film which is basically covering the novel. Um, just okay, I'm gonna ruffle on for ages. So basically, <laughs> just to give a little bit of a summary, it's about um, headstrong teenager growing up during the world during World War II uh, in Hungary um, with. A general her father is a general her mom um, passed away and she you know lives in Budapest in the city they're living a very luxurious good life but um, she's sent to um, a boarding school in on the countryside by her dad and um, she doesn't understand why the dad doesn't really want to say the reasons obviously the war is going on you get a load of insight from what hung like what it felt like in Hungary to, you know, be how how Hungary took part in the Second World War in a way. You get loads of political themes in this book apart from obviously the main storyline following um following um Gina. Her name is Gina but Gina, whatever, <laughs> uh s- story and her um coming of age basically and her self Improvement and her, her, you know, finding herself in a way. So she goes to this boarding school, being super angry at her dad for putting her there. And then it turns out that I don't want to give loads away, but the general is very much involved, obviously, with the um, actions that are going on mm-hmm. in the war and where he stands with the war. She is Gina. Uh, basically, um, hates this super religious, closed prison-like institution where she's been sent to. Um, She fights with her um, fellow fellows and her fellow boarding school friends. It's an all-girls school. It's a a Protestant school. So it's incredibly, you know, orthodox and super religious. And um, she rebels against her teachers. And there is no faith for her to get out of here. She doesn't understand why. And the only faith that at the end she kind of skeptically because she loads of people in as i read some reviews of this in english they compared her character to emma jane austen's main character from obviously her novel emma just that sort of how that spoiled brat yeah. you know <laughs> that she is in the beginning and what she transforms yeah. to at the end but yeah. this is just a very very brief part of what the novel is itself um but then the only f- faith basically that she will skeptically have not in the beginning but then she will have is this legendary statue in the garden of the institution this is a female statue called abigail which is holding a urn, basically and they say that if you have no faith and you feel like no one can help you abigail will so write your worries down on a piece of paper and put it in the little uh, urn of this um this statue and this mystery and this captivating mystery um, kind of surrounds the narrative and and you know you want to find out who is behind this statue and you also find yourself getting su- like getting involved with moral questions that are urgent that are relevant twists and turns of the story both politically and in the lives of the characters it's a funny novel, but it brings tears yeah. to your eyes sometimes. I think um, <laughs> yes. it is, you know, it, it is that kind of youthful innocence from Gina's side, but also that that overall picture of the the institution, the figure of the teacher. This is something that interests me incredibly. The figure of the teacher and the educational aspect of this, and this this is a topic that is reoccurring. And it's something that I'm currently thinking about when I'm reading texts and when I do my research and buy books, it's something that I I uh, keep getting back to. So Abigail is a young adult novel I would recommend to not just Hungarian people. If you want to get some introduction into Hungarian history, into Hungarian literature, strong female characters like, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying something trendy <laughs> from The Hunger Games. <laughs> Or anything. You I think this book would be for absolutely yeah. everyone. And this is something that is enjoyed and loved by many. And and I was so intrigued and so happy. My heart was literally smiling when this came out and I ordered the book and actually <laughs> read it. And just please just reflect
0: just with a few sentences what I you thought, thought of the it book. It was a beautiful book. I really, really enjoyed it. And actually for any English readers slash listeners of this podcast as well, um, this is a very, very interesting book to read, to get a different perspective on um, war history that's not coming from the British side. Very, very interesting, because any books that I read about war growing up were all from the British side, and this isn't. And I think that, yeah, from that perspective, give this book a read, because it is so so interesting from the military standpoint but also just as a beautiful coming-of-age novel about this this young girl just learning to kind of stop being so selfish basically uh, it's it's yeah. just a lovely lovely read so very very
1: and loyalty and loyalty and oh, sure. you know honesty and truthfulness and all those basic values that we sometimes forget nowadays but were absolutely engraved in the people there like one of my favorite favorite ever scenes in the book which is not gonna mean a lot right now because if you don't know the story but is um just for you ash (laughs) um, basically then the director of the institution kind of um Then that scene when the director of the institution is um, having a meeting with the young general who is is wanting to take Gina away from the institution because let's not say anything else about that. But that (laughs) scene it really definitely absolutely captures everything that is morals and values and value systems. So absolutely fantastic read. I think
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Your turn, baby. (laughs) So my fourth book. (laughs) Again, a very recent read for both myself and Anna. So, when, when I say this book, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Is Ikigai by Hector Garcia and Francesc Morales. Oh my it goodness, made it, it made and it for good reason as well. So, as I said, we both read this book very, very recently. And I think we can both agree that it had a profound impact on our way of thinking and kind of the way that we now try to lead our day to day lives. So, the Definitely. word ikigai itself can loosely be translated as a reason for being, or my favorite translation, a reason for getting out of bed in the morning. <laughs> so, this small and easy read just explores the concept of ikigai and uses the Japanese island of Okinawa as a case study to demonstrate how finding your ikigai, as well as practicing healthy habits, can improve your physical, mental and spiritual health all in one go. So Okinawans are known for having one of the largest populations of centenarians, so people that live to 100 plus in the world. And when questioned about their secret, many will respond with answers about keeping busy and finding a reason to get out of bed each morning, whether this is a garden to tend to or a class to teach or just simply going and having a cup of tea with a friend. And um, after reading this book, I was just struck by how simple this philosophy is so simple isn't it and that is the most striking about that
1: that it's the most simple things that you could ever imagine this is not magic these people don't feel like they have their life ahead of us at the age of 85 because they're doing some sort of magic these are things that we can implement to our everyday lives right now right now you don't
0: like you don't need any sort of training to to start doing these things they are so so simple and it just kind of made me think that Western countries, I know that's a big generalization, but I, I hear me out here, because I do think that Western countries always seem to be driven by success and money. And life rushes by, and people are just constantly worrying about which milestone they should have reached or how much money they should have by age 25. And it's like, it was just refreshing to me to read a book that's sole purpose is to teach you how to find your purpose. And that's kind of something which I don't think a lot of people spend time trying to do these days i think that we we are in such a rush all the time and it's it's time to just slow down you know especially in times like this where things are rough anyway for all of us so we need to just slow down and just take a minute to kind of breathe and just try and find happiness in ourselves and you know and that's that's what
1: ikigai Uh is that's what it is and you know what i just i just like the most this is I recommended this book to my 92 year old granny who is an absolute hero and she is just (laughs) fantastic and she, you know, she has the freshest mind. She does crosswords every single day, reads a lot, big fan of Harry Potter, big fan of, you know, all sorts of films that I recommended to her. I recommended this book as well, because these are simple things. And even at the age of 92, you can start implementing these things. And she has no intention of stopping to learn new things. As the age of 92, she, you know, began to you know, learn how to use the tablet and an iPad and things like that, just to be able to FaceTime me oh, from Hungary, which is amazing. And these, this is one of the core um, core ideas as well of the Ikigai book. And just a little, I have to mention, just because they are mentioning I Japan. Gosh, I have to, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually studied and lived in Japan for nearly four months in 2018. I uh, had, I went there on like an intern sh- not internship, scholarship, which it was like a study abroad program that our university here in Winchester organized. And I lived in Fukuoka, the island of Fukuoka, um, with a host family who are the nicest people and and just got submerged into the culture, the Japanese culture and everything that that represents mm-hmm. basically, which could be just how beautiful and meticulous their lives are how diligent and hardworking Japanese people are, how advanced everything is because they want it to be advanced. There are certain aspects that are complete, complete, like, surprises for me because here, you know, in European culture, we've got absolutely nothing that is similar to it, like, the whole, like, because they are... Japanese people, again, massively generalizing here because this is not true for every single Japanese person. But what I experienced is that reserved mess, that diligence, that kind of, you know, like living to themselves and to make their lives better with each day and make every single meal oh, beautiful. <laughs> make the little, the shittest little thing in the local supermarket, which is basically a really shitty plastic keychain. Make it painted you know beautifully, which make you makes you want to kind of buy it. Which you, we could we could go into a whole like discussion of consumerism here, but we don't want to. It's it's. Let's just leave it at the beauty of it. That everything is done in a way that's 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 just how I want to live my life. That's just I don't want to waste. And this is not saying that you can't be sad and you can't have your down moments because there is absolutely nothing sad about this in ikigai. You absolutely can, but trying to to live your life in the simplest way, but in a fact that like you implement these little habits and that will make you want to get out of bed each day, I think.
0: So again, since reading this book, um, I would say that I've sort of begun to focus far more on like my physical and in turn my mental health. And I dedicate time to relaxing each day, which is something that I did not do before. And I'm now just... Absolutely. actively pursuing something which i kind of believe to be my ikigai. So definitely read this book, okay? It will change your life. Guaranteed. If it doesn't send me a okay. bill for the book, okay? And I'll pay for it. I don't care.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. And it's a most readable thing with loads of diagrams, loads of visual things yeah, that you can actually visualize, person. you know, in your head, in your yeah, like like actively productively relaxing and dedicating time for example reading getting yeah. into the flow of reading you know yeah. because that books for you and me provide a space where we can actually stretch our minds and where we can actually not just yeah. escape to but live in in a way yeah. Um and I'm very grateful for that and then again this book kind of and the idea of this plays into that perfectly as well getting into the flow of something when you kind of just don't even realize time I don't know if you ever had it but when you just for example read or listen to music and you just don't realize how time is passing because you're getting into the flow of productivity and everything so yeah absolutely perfect (laughs) book. very good actually very very good (laughs) okay I'm going to be quick here my fourth book and then we're going to have one each our last ones um my fourth book is um a book by Sylvia Plath and it's called The Bell Jar. I'm sure loads of you are very familiar
0: with this. I don't know, I have, have you haven't. read this book,
1: Ashley? We've never actually I haven't talked read this book,
0: it. but I know that it's one that I need to read. So if you've got a copy, I'll be borrowing that, okay?
1: <laughs> yes, and also I think when, the other day when we went to Waterstones, Ash, I just saw it randomly on one of the shelves and I said it to you, I think, that oh my gosh and that's when it came to my mind that it was actually, I read it twice now and it's it was actually something that that changed changed my life and way of thinking in but in a very different way so this book is very largely autobiographical and i don't know how much you know about sylvia plath it was written in 1963 this book and after a month after this book has been published sylvia plath committed suicide um she was very This book is very, very largely autobiographical. So it's made into a fiction, but it's very much based on her experiences. And you feel it. You just physically cannot make something up that is so incredibly um, personal and deep if you haven't experienced it Mm -hmm. yourself. So this book is dealing with mental health struggles. Again, it's written from a first person narrative. This is so weird that 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 basically most of my books are. I know I do very much love it because I just yeah I just love being in the head of these people but again it's it's mental health yeah. struggles depression anxiety it's not a happy book at all it has its happy moments I think it's witty it's yeah. readable absolutely readable but um it is it's it's a, it's dealing with very strong yeah. issues that I think are very very relevant now and maybe they weren't that relevant then what you said about uh, to kill a mockingbird like it made a freaking yeah. statement back then or oh, how much it made a freaking yeah. statement back then and now people are reaching back to this book because again it is something that has been so more you know widely is so like mental health issues are like really widely spoken yeah. of now which is a good thing that they created the space where we are allowed to do that um but basically it's Sylvia Plath is exploring her own state of mind in this book and it's about um, um, a girl called Esther and she is from the suburban area of Boston but she the novel itself is set in New York City because she's doing an internship for a fashion magazine it's about isolation it's about how she's dealing with decisions how she wants to be seen in the society as a female as a woman who do, is not willing to you know um give everything up and serve a man she's saying this so I'm waving the flag of feminism here that loads of feminist issues are um absolutely incorporated in this book and then also are represent the, that wave of feminism that Sylvia Plath herself had to face, you know, at the time as a woman author, you know, doing a creative job, not just serving a husband, not just cooking dinner, um, but doing a creative job. And and obviously the character itself is
0: an aspiring
1: author. Um, The bell jar itself represents that this thing around your head where you are just feel trapped you feel trapped and at the end of the book I don't want to say what the ending is but it's quite an open-ended thing that maybe the bell jar is lifting or maybe it's not lifting so you feel trapped and like you feel your own self you feel like you are in the moment when you're reading this book and kind of what really what I could identify with the most because very luckily touchwood I don't struggle with mental health I don't Obviously, I have my anxious moments, but with these sort of feelings, the fact that it is about mental health struggles, that's that's not the reason why I love this book. The reason why I love this book is because these ideas strike me and also that... The idea that when you keep going and going and you feel like you achieved loads and you always got, you know, really good grades and you achieved everything that everyone else wanted from you and you keep going and then you reach this final target and then yeah. what happens after? Yeah. Kind of thing. So that is, that is a very, very interesting idea. And this book answers loads of questions about that. And it is heartbreaking because we know that even if the book i'm not saying it it is ending like that but even if it's ending on a more positive note we know that sylvia plath herself after publishing this book is committing yeah. committed suicide so yeah. a month after this you know in a way that is you know well known like it's just yeah it heartbreaking, is. That's, that's
0: but, heartbreaking but, but the
1: yeah but it, it, it made it made an absolute yeah. statement i think on again, American literature and being a wife of, again, someone who, someone who is in the creative industry. And it's just, it's just um, a very, very, um, I don't even know how to, how to describe the book itself. It's quite hard to describe. Um, it, it's been a while since I've read, read the book itself, but um, loads of thoughts and like patterns and symbols you know, just stuck with me for life. So that's why I had to just include it. I, just, I think that's I a brilliant to. book
0: to include. I really do, because I think that you're absolutely right. You know, for a long time, mental health just wasn't something that was really talked about or widely accepted. And in some countries, it still isn't. Um, so I do think that books that are very, very open about mental health and the effects that it can have on people are that um, should be read by as many people as, as possible. So... I will one hundred percent be reading this book, definitely. You would, you would, you would very much enjoy this, I think,
1: Ash. And I'm intrigued to find out what you think of it. And we will have to discuss it. At, at, I'm, I'm. We will definitely have to discuss this as soon as you read it, because you're gonna power through it. It's again something that is very readable and very quick and quite like a, a yeah. quite a small
0: book as well. Well, I'll let you know. So, <laughs> definitely and let's hear your last my last book book. so i'm gonna try and be quick with this one because i'm very aware that we have gone above and beyond the the time limit that we'd set ourselves i
1: mean i just i just knew that this is gonna happen i'm gonna i'm gonna try
0: and be quick with my last
1: one as well but i won't rush rush it you guys are still with us
0: i hope you are my last (laughs) book is americana by chimamanda ngozi adichie Oh, I knew you actually. If I, I just had not it. included this book Anna, <laughs> what would I have been doing with my life honestly, like this one I have to give credit to Anna here because Anna introduced me to this just beautiful, gorgeous woman, this lovely author Adichie, and I as soon as I read this book, even just the first few pages, I knew this was going to be one of my favorite books of all time, and Anna recommended it to me, so thank you, Anna. <laughs> More than welcome. I'm so pleased. I'm so, so pleased. So very briefly then, this story is the story of two young Nigerians and the different paths that they end up taking in their lives. One moving to America and the other to England. However, I would kind of say that the book focuses more on Ifemelu's story. Again, I could be butchering that name. So I'm so sorry to any of any of our Nigerian listeners out there. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can tell me if I'm saying it wrong. Um, it focuses more on her story while she's in America. And there is just so much to pick apart in this book. So your best bet is to just go and read it yourself. But honestly, like I cannot recommend this book enough. Um, so while she's in America... She starts this very, very successful blog, which is based around her observations on race in America. And I just loved the way that this book highlights the differences in the way that Africans and African-Americans see race and kind of perceive their own identities. And her own experience with identity was just fascinating to me because we kind of see her going from Nigeria to America and then back to Nigeria and how this affects her and she kind of says in the book that she only became black when she went to America. You know, this, this concept of blackness and whiteness Mm. was just something that she just never even thought of before she went to America and race became a massive issue. And um, we witness her values and her sense of self just changed throughout the novel entirely. And it's so strange because you witness this, contrast between her Nigerian culture and the cultures of the African-American women around her and when she first arrives in America you kind of think to yourself she's not going to change that much like she's she's gonna pretty much stick to her core beliefs stick to her culture and yet throughout the novel you kind of watch her um sort of merge with society and and kind of take on little uh what's the word um little personality traits and she kind of becomes quite snobbish I would say towards African and Nigerian culture and that's just something yeah. that I certainly didn't see coming at the start of the novel but you know this is what happens and this again is to Amanda Ngozi Adichie this is her kind of testament to the differences in black culture like you cannot take yeah. all black people and put them in one box and say, they're all going to understand this. They're all going to understand that because they 100% don't. The The African diaspora is huge. It is massive. And um, she, this novel is just such an incredible introduction to that. And um, it's probably one of the best books that I've read on what it means to move through the world as a black woman. And, I would just say that she has, Adichie herself has truly achieved something spectacular with this book. And I really just can't praise it enough because, on top of this, um, with the obvious dealings of racism and identity, this book also includes the story of star-crossed lovers, which I am just a sucker for. I absolutely love that narrative. Um, (laughs) However, I must admit that Ifemelu's journey was interesting enough in itself. The romance was just a nice addition.
1: (laughs) And there is so much to this book. There is so much. It's a big book. It's a beautiful book. It's just, it again, it's not just an introduction to this, what you are just saying. This is something that like, Ashley is an ex- expert on this about
0: that. topic, the
1: <laughs> return to Africa, the, yeah, the journey, that journey which you just described. And that is, like, it's done in such a way that you see different perspectives. And, like, again, what you said that, like, how could you put all black people in one box when like you just you just can't do that because everyone will have different experiences how the hell can you compare you know like that exactly what we said about cultural experiences you can't put you know all of us you know all white people to one one box you know from different nationalities or different countries all europeans yeah they all, all europeans will understand that cultural experience do you actually like realize if you ever say this, how, you know, conflicting and controversial yeah. and problematic that is really? And but it, it more, even more so, you know, with with what Chiamanda Ngozi Adichie is achieved with this masterpiece, I think. And the term Americana is like became something that I keep referring to when um, I'm having troubles vocalizing my thoughts on this matter you know you know what I mean yeah definitely (laughs) but
0: please go and read this book and any other book by Adichie as well because her writing style is just honestly one of the most gorgeous literary styles I think I've ever encountered in my life I just I can't quite put it into words you'll understand it if you read it but it is just beautiful it really is so please pick up this book and then anything else that she's written because she is an absolute literary gem like she is the best
1: (laughs) (laughs) and she's she's just a badass and someone who we should all be you know proud of that such a strong female and just amazing author is out there guiding us through her literary works and her you know activism and everything because this is yeah yeah, i think this is very important okay very quickly ash and then i'm going and then we're (laughs) gonna have to wrap this up because it's crazy (laughs) my last book is, again, saving the best you lost. I think you will know what this is, my other dissertation book, Journey by Moonlight, by Anto Acerb, another Hungarian, another Hungarian author. But I just had to include two Hungarian books because, again, as we kind of, you know, like talked about this quite a lot and um, went into deep details like culture and inheritance and like how I grew up and what it means that that all that all of this is just that experience that I have you know as like a Hungarian and bringing that to for example the UK and showing what this novel and text which is so incredibly important in my opinion can do that's what I try to achieve with my um, with my dissertation Um, so this book was written in 1937 um um a, i would say bourgeois hungarian businessman is on a holiday or honeymoon in venice with his wife that is basically the storyline if i want to summarize <laughs> it in one sentence um and this man has all sorts of thoughts this is not first person um but it feels like <laughs> yeah, it i would say it's um he his anxiety that his life becomes ordinary is one of the main themes that this book is um, tackling, I would say. Again, the themes of alienation and isolation and feeling alone with feel, feeling, super, like feeling alone with a singular feeling is very much present in this book because Mihai, our uh, protagonist, um, is someone who feels like he has burnt out and he has achieved what he what he could basically and he is terrified of losing that youth that he once had and with this in mind we are kind of getting to know his past and the people and places that he meets in this journey which should be the honeymoon but it ends up being his life journey the traveling and moving from a to b moving from this is what bildungsroman means Mm -hmm. this is my what my dissertation was on bildungsroman as um not coming of age because that became a term which we all use but basically an educational novel a um growing novel when you grow no. with the protagonist Antoine Serb is again one of my mom's favorite authors and she was the one who recommended this book to me and then I kind of made the conclusions in my head to compare it with um, The Catcher in the Rye. It's different. The age is different, the cultural experience is different, but there are similarities and there are things that both of these books teach. Um, The travelage of the book, as I've mentioned, is very important. The outsider status of the protagonist um, and I think what's the most loved and most special about this book that Serb the author is understands and mocks all of his characters in this book at the same time so you kind of feel the flaws you feel the beauty you go on an absolute amazing journey if you start reading this book I read a review that someone read the book finished it and then immediately started again from page one because you get you you get into this journey you feel like you are traveling through the you know the beautiful little cafes Mm. of rome um the but this is just this is just the surface and what's behind this is everything and this is an absolute masterpiece and it's the most loved by the cultivated hungarians (laughs) and um and i just i could you know i can't recommend it enough and journey by moonlight is just serb also or Antal serb sorry um is also someone who has been translated to many languages. This has been translated twice, actually. So there are two different translations to it. Um, And it's just an absolutely amazing human journey. The journey from being young to growing old, the journey from one place to another, the journey from fear to becoming confident, the journey, all of this is... Yeah. depicted in the book love then is it enough then am i settling for something ordinary Then am i fighting for my own happiness Anyway, this is hopefully gives you a little teaser, but um, I'm going to leave it at that with Journey by Moonlight by Anton Sareb. We're going to write a little caption and mention all the books that we are saying, we are mentioning, I think. Yeah, yeah, we'll put all the
0: authors next to them. So please go and check all of these out, guys, because they're on our list of top 10 for a reason. You know, these are all incredible books and well worth a read. So thank you so much if you have made it right to the end with us um obviously this was a little bit longer than we were anticipating but I actually think that that's probably best because these books deserve a little bit of extra time I would say.
1: <laughs> Absolutely if you did listen till the very end I'm honestly super impressed <laughs> and very happy because uh, maybe we managed to achieve something that got you gripped and excited and this was an absolute joy ash to talk to you about these and it was so good to find out what your top five books are and your thoughts on them so i'm so grateful and thank you so so much for everyone for listening and then um, we are going to obviously plan and record more episodes but this is it for now
0: (laughs) thank you for listening everyone
1: In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss a variety of topics, whether that is university life, cultural and social discourses, current life affairs, films and series, lifestyle,
0: friendships, nerding over books, and so much more. The possibilities are endless. As much as we're here to share our ideas and experiences with you, we also can't wait to learn from you guys. The podcast will be published monthly, where Anna and I will chat about a specific topic and finish each episode with a discussion on a chosen book for the month. We will choose a
1: book for our book club each month, which you can read with us and send your thoughts either by emailing us. Our email address is apluspodcast2 at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. You can find us under the username
0: podcast. We invite you to send us your recommendations via email or Instagram and if your book is chosen you'll receive a special mention in the next episode. Please go and follow us on the good old socials and join us for this brand new and super exciting journey. It's never too late to learn something new.